Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Economics for Rebels, the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. Not too long ago, it was an act of rebellion to pursue economics as if nature mattered. This rebellion continues. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the economics of just and sustainable transformations. Conversations with and for those who are ready to act on rapid and radical change for people and planet. Welcome to our podcast. I am your host, Alexandra Kovesh, and you are listening to the first episode of the Economics for Rebels podcast. The European Society for Ecological Economics is a scientific community specialized in the integration of ecological and critical social perspectives in economics. We believe we have academic credibility to legitimize real-world systemic changes and take scientifically informed political stances. But we could do much better to spread and clearly communicate ecological economics ideas, to bring them to life on the ground in people's everyday lives. Today's guest is Eric Gomez Bagetun, and we will talk about ecological economics and why we believe that we need to open up spaces for frontier debates. Eric is an ecological economist, a professor of environmental governance at the Norwegian University of Life Sciences. His research focuses on ecological economics and environmental policy. He's president of the U European Society for Ecological Economics. He was a lead author of the report, The Economics of Ecosystems and Biodiversity. Welcome, Eric. Thank you very much, Sandra. I'm honored to be here. This being the first episode, we are talking about what ecological economics has to offer to our societies and um, why we believe that such a podcast series can help instigate change. Our subtitle is Making economics, Ecological Economics Heard. Mm, why do you think it is important for people to get to know what ecological economics is? Um, and, and what on earth is it anyway? So <clears throat> to start with your last question, um, ecological economics is an interdisciplinary field of knowledge that is concerned with uh, how to meet uh, human needs and uh, how to sustain and enhance human well-being within planetary boundaries, within the ecological limits of uh, a finite planet. So um, one core idea uh, in the vision of ecological economics is understanding the economy uh, not as separate from uh, from the biosphere, from, from the ecosystems, but as integrated with them. And actually as a subsystem of um, the, the global planetary ecosystems, right? And this way of understanding the economy is, is important in its implications because it means that if you accept that the economy is not separate from the environment, but actually it's a subsystem of the environment, it also means that um, the economy cannot grow forever. It cannot grow uh, beyond the limits of the hosting system in which it is embedded. And from that point of view, you already uh, have a very um, different point of departure of uh, thinking how um, what economics is about. You know? So a very central issue in, in ecological economics has to do with sustainable scale. Uh, how big uh, can the size of the economy be in order not to destroy the ecosystems on which, uh, on the ecological life support systems on which uh, it depends. No? 
And another very important implication of, of this way of understanding the economy is since you um, realize that you cannot uh, grow the pie forever, um, just uh, increase wealth and uh, you know expand the economy uh, to the infinite because we live in a finite planet, that means we put a lot of uh, emphasis on the idea of redistribution. We cannot uh, simply grow and grow and grow the pie forever. So we need to uh, put focus on how to redistribute uh, our existing wealth. No? So um, to your first question, uh, why is it important and why should people uh, pay attention to ecological economics? The way I see it, it is because um, there is growing evidence that uh, the economy in the way we have uh, it, it's theorized, it's practiced um, and applied. It's actually one of the main drivers of uh, global environmental degradation. So um, there is very ample empirical evidence that uh, economic growth is related to more carbon emissions leading to climate change, more land use change leading to biodiversity loss and more uh, use of materials, energy and resource depletion, right? So that's why it's so important that um, we act on the economy because uh, it's a main driver of environmental degradation. But if we think of it in a new way, uh, and I believe in the way ecological economics uh, um, uh, suggests, it can also be a solution to many of uh, our environmental problems. Ecology and economics doesn't have to be in, uh, in conflict with each other. Aristotle and the old Greeks, um, uh, realized that they gave them uh, the same etymological uh, root, right? Ecology, the knowledge of the household, economy, the management of the household. So ecological economics is trying to reconciliate this divorce between uh, ecology and economics. Is this only about criticizing the mainstream or is it about actually coming up with solutions? This is a difficult question simply because uh, whenever you talk about possible solutions in other paradigms, you're still talking about theories. You're si still saying something that, you know, it has never happened in the world. So why should it be right? How can it be right when it's still just a theory? Mm. Well, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, ecological economics is not, it's not only a theory. Ecological economics has a, a full package of uh, of uh, concrete policy proposals and, and con concrete actions that should be taken on the basis uh, informed by this deal. You know? um, your question is, is very, uh, very appropriate, I believe, because it's true that uh, for some time, ecological economics has um, portrayed itself as a critique, as a criticism of uh, more mainstream, uh, so-called neoclassical uh, economics, right? Um, and it has taken a little bit of time for ecological economics to present itself in an affirmative, uh, propositive way, right? Not, uh, not a, as a negation of um, the, the mainstream economy, but as, as uh, in, in, a, in a positive and affirmative terms, right? But that, that is happening. Uh, so for quite some years now, ecological economics has a whole number of uh, policy proposals that are on the table. They are not just high-flying things, they are uh, actually things that are being incorporated in the programs of many political parties. Um, I could uh, give you a few examples. Ecological economics um, makes the case that uh, the focus of uh, policy, economic policy and so on, should not be economic growth. 
it should be human well-being and environmental sustainability. This means that we need to, um, to use alternative indicators of uh, economic performance, of economic progress, not GDP, which is only a measure across domestic product, a measure of economic growth that simply, um, you know, measures what is bought and sold uh, in the economy, the busyness of the market economy. Uh, it doesn't pay attention to uh, household work. It doesn't pay attention to all the social and environmental costs um, that are uh, part of economic growth in terms of environmental degradation and so on. So um, ecological economics uh, make the case for using alternative indicators to measure economic progress. There are many indicators out there, such as the sustainable development indicators, um, the um, uh, genuine progress indicators, sustainable well-being indicators. These indicators take into account uh, not only environmental sustainability and human well-being, but also aspects of uh, social equity and redistribution of wealth. That would be one of the main, uh, one of the important policy proposals from ecological economics. Ecological economics is also um, making the case that we need major tax and subsidy reforms, right? Um, for instance, um, taxes um, should not only go uh, on labor uh, or not primarily on labor. We believe they should also go on pollution and depletable resources, right? Um, we have a problem with employment because we have machines, uh, robotization replacing um, the, the employments of people. If we put so many taxes on, on labor, we're creating more and more incentives for people to, employers to get rid of, uh, of their workers, no? If we move this uh, tax burden or, or we shift the, the bulk of the taxes from uh, labor to so-called natural capital, we would be creating more incentives, for instance, for using natural resources in a more effective way no? and to create less pollution and so on. The same with uh, subsidies. Um, there is an immense amount of, uh, of subsidies that is going to environmentally harming uh, activities like uh, fossil fuels uh, and so on. Um, most ecological economists or myself are, are not against subsidies. They are uh, an important tool in, uh, in policy, but we believe they should be moved not for environmentally harming uh, activities. They should be moved from environmentally harming activities to environmentally regenerating. Uh, activities. No? Instead of subsidizing the agro-industry, uh, subsidizing um, agroecology, uh, organic agriculture, and other forms of agriculture that do not have very high market value, um, but have very high ecological and social value. Instead of subsidizing fossil fuels, subsidizing, for instance, uh, renewable resources and so on. A third political measure we, uh, we're pushing from uh, ecological economics is working time reduction. Um, we, you know, work is, is the most central institutions in the way we organize our society. The golden hours of, of the day we devoted to our bosses and then our family and friends get just the, the little rests at the end of the day when we are exhausted. That's not a very logical way of, uh, of organizing a society maybe. No? So uh, we're suggesting keeping away attention from, uh, from productivity and much more attention on uh, human well-being. And this means, um, uh, reducing working time. Uh, there is also much empirical evidence that less working hours is also associated with less pollution, less consumption of resources, and uh, more sustainability. 
And um, I don't want to talk too long, but just to put some examples on the table that actually, and as I said, this is not only, you know, uh, far um, up in the air kind of things. There are many political parties, also relatively mainstream uh, political parties are discussing and slowly incorporating many of these uh, suggestions in their political agendas. So basically what you described is, is that once you take the centrality of growth um, out of the equation, you end up with a system that you have to reform in every little sphere of life. Nothing remains the same. And um, ecological economists work in all these segments of life um, on all different kinds of topics saying that, okay, if you take the centrality of growth or if you take the, 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 the social and ecological limits into consideration, you will have to have a different way of organizing society, a different redistributional system, a different way of looking at how money works, um, how the financial sector works, how democracy supports or doesn't support uh, um, uh, these type of transformations, um, what logic businesses follow when, when, when they work, how we treat work, what we consider um, needs, what we consider well-being, what we consider welfare, how the welfare states work. So basically nothing remains the same once you, once you take this, this growth paradigm out. Um, how, how, can, how can we, obviously in this podcast series, we will try and, and, and show little bits and pieces in all these areas, but how can you actually start moving towards these directions? Mm. Um, well, I think you made a very good summary. I, um, I maybe only a small nuance. Um, many and possibly most things would look very different, but um, uh, not all of them. We also have good things in the way we. Uh, we, we organize our society. So, so, so those parts we also uh, want to preserve. Um, many, you know, good environmental regulations that exist, welfare policies and so on are, um, are consistent with principles of ecological economics. So uh, we would like to transform many, many things, but also preserve um, the good things uh, we have in our existing system. You know? How to, um, to, to instigate this change, uh, are you asking? No? Um, it's a very big question. I, um, I'm not sure if I have a, a very good answer, but um, I can share with you some of my thoughts. First of all, I think we, uh, we have to change, you know, the, what sometimes we call the common sense, you know, things that we take for granted. Um, and that maybe are not so obvious or actually are not a good idea at all, we have to start uh, rethinking them entirely. You know? The idea that work should be the center of our lives mm, is something that we almost get for granted. No? So um, we have to start thinking, maybe it's an absurd idea that we are putting, uh, you know, that most of our life uh, is devoted to work. You know? In the old, uh, in other times and cultures, uh, the, the nicest uh, temples and cathedrals were for the gods. Now we have uh, now there are skyscrapers full of uh, of workers. No, I think it's a, a symbol of how we organize um, our society. 
um, I think we have also to, to rethink very strongly uh, fundamental principles that we take for granted, idea that we should uh, base um, economic function on the principle of competition. Uh, this is entirely incompatible with uh, ideas of ecological economics, where we uh, ground our ideas much more on, uh, on notions of cooperation and uh, mutual support. No? So I think we have to, uh, the idea that growth is something good, no? that per se, and then in itself. Well, this is also, again, something we need to change. So I think ecological economics need to um, do an enormous pedagogical role in terms of reinterpreting many ideas that we take for granted and that we try to look at them in an entirely different way. That would be uh, the first bit. No? Rethink many of the, the core institutions and ideas uh, that in our society that we believe have to change. Um, then, and touching a little bit upon your previous question, it's important to build concrete alternatives, not only criticize, deconstruct, um, actually uh, come with very concrete proposals, right? Uh, and this goes a little bit on the line of, um, of the policy suggestions. I was putting some examples just um, a few minutes ago. Then I think it's very important to connect to the real problems of lay people. There has been, um, you know, um, academia sometimes has, has you know, uh, moved into this so-called um, uh, ivory uh, tower, no? With theorization and so on. Um, and I think it has also been part of this process of elitization um, that um, there is being a global revolt uh, against it, no? So uh, you have all these uh, progressive academics uh, coming with uh, lots of theories, but then um, having lifestyles that are not uh, congruent with, um, with what they are preaching. No? So if, uh, if we are saying we have to change the climate, but we are flying away, and I include myself, I've been part of this uh, dynamic of scholars and so on, telling people not to fly and, and change their behaviors, how can we have credibility? You know? So I think we have to get much closer to um, we have to connect with the real problems of people. And again, if we talk about, uh, you know, stress and, and overwork and time squeeze is something that uh, the vast majority of people is experiencing nowadays. So ideas like work time reduction is something that talk um, very strongly to, uh, to the bulk of people, I would say. And then I think it's very important to, um, to connect with uh, activists. So uh, both by uh, providing support to activists and learning from activists, right? So for instance, ecological economics has um, developed um, or borrowed a whole number of concepts from um, environmental and social activists, uh, ideas like uh, ecological debts uh, and so on, ideas that maybe activists um, develop and then academics formalize somehow, put numbers around it, show empirics around it, and create these kind of alliances. There is an excellent book by, um, among others, by Joan Martinez Salier called Ecological Economics from the Bottom Up that talks about uh, this kind of initiative. So I think we have to uh, reduce the gap between this high-flying theoritization of uh, academics and um, the people that are actually doing things on the ground. So at least uh, a few hints of, um, where I believe uh, could be the ways to go. Um, these problems that ecological economics is um, addressing, 
Um, these problems have been with us for many, many years, many, many decades. Actually, when, when you look at geological economics, um, the, the foundations date back to the 60s and 70s. So um, why do you think, um, I think in some of the next podcasts, we're going to talk about this in, 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 in great depth. But if somebody listens to this for, first podcast, uh, this, this will obviously be one of the first questions, like why has it not taken a foothold already when we know about these problems, um, what has stopped and what is changing now? Do you think it's changing now? Do you think ecological economics has a chance now? Okay, uh, starting with your first question, uh, Sandra. Mm, I think one of the reasons why, uh, the question you are asking why, you know, if we have been sort of coming with alternatives to mainstream economics, it's kind of obvious that mainstream economics is failing to solve and to address effectively many of the social and environmental problems of our time. Why is it still so dominant and why haven't alternatives like ecological economics being more prominent? Do I interpret correctly? Yes, your... yes, yes, exactly. Mm. So one, one aspect that we, um, okay, let, let's be self-critical. Um, getting back to, to your first question, part of it is that we have criticized a lot and, and not being as good in terms of putting very concrete proposals on the table. I think that's slowly moving on and that we're uh, getting better and better on that. The other very important element is that uh, you have very uh, powerful actors and interest um, uh, with an interest and stakes in sustaining uh, economics as it is theorized and applied in um, in, in, in the traditional way. No? Uh, economics um, is in itself is, is a field of knowledge that did not exist uh, as a discipline before the 18th century. No? So it emerges at a time when uh, capitalism was forging with the industrial revolution and so on. Um, and the way I see it, um, economics is a science uh, that in practice has not only mainstream economics that in practice has not only emerged as an attempt uh, to explain capitalism, the capitalist economy, but also as uh, it has played a very important role in sustaining and justifying that type of uh, economic system. No? So um, uh, it's not so strange that we have so, uh, so uh, you know that trying to change ideas about growth uh, faces formidable forces because there are very powerful actors making, uh, getting a lot of, uh, of, of money and a lot of power out of economic growth. We know that, uh, and, and there are books about this, uh, Piketty and others have been showing this in, in their books that um, there are the elites that reaps most of the benefits of uh, economic growth. No? Um, Ecological economists, uh, we say, you know, all this economic growth is creating costs that at some point will hunt us uh, in the future and so on. Um, I think many people know that, but still, you know, uh, many people have very strong interest in keeping doing that. If we are shifting costs to uh, future generations, you know, by 
by consuming more and more and more and giving, letting less and less and less for the future generations. And many people don't want to change that because they, um, you know, they, they are shifting costs uh, to the future and to others. So it's important to understand that um, uh, economics in the way it's operating uh, plays a very important role in sustaining the interests of uh, the elites. And it's also plays a very important role in justifying um, a society that is structurally divided in uh, different uh, social classes, no? Uh, by, by uh, through this promise that uh, we will always have more and more economic growth and we will all have more and more, we justify, somehow we provide some kind of justification of these enormous uh, differences and inequalities that we have in society. So that is, I believe, one of the reasons um, it hasn't changed because it sustains uh, the interests of the powerful, and uh, we also have, you know, uh, journalists, the media, education, uh, indoctrinating us every day with this idea, we need economic growth. If we have less economic growth, this is catastrophic and so on. Uh, you know, they are also educating us in this idea that we are egoists, uh, utility maximizers and so on. When you hear that every day, all the time, uh, in your classes, in the media, uh, in everything you read, it ends up, you know, changing your mind. And we end up believing we are uh, the way the world is and, and humans are in the way uh, economists describe them. No? So I think we have to do a, an enormous uh, pedagogy uh, against this way of portraying people and, uh, and how the economy works and, and what it is. Okay, I understand the role of economics in pedagogy, but what you've been mentioning is is power relations, politics, um, interests, and um, and when we think of uh, academics, you know, um, we think of clever people with little practical skills and even less political stamina, um, as you mentioned, sitting in their ivory towels. Uh, so, um, um, so. How can, obviously we started this podcast series because we want change. And as you said, we can, we can change common sense, uh, but can we actually instigate change without turning into politicians or celebrity influencers? Absolutely, I, I don't think, um, uh, in most cases, uh, politicians, um, are not the ones that lead change, they are the ones that follow change. Um, not always, uh, sometimes it's more bottom up, sometimes it's, uh, it's more up down. Um, but the way I see it, uh, it's when, when the ideas of people start, start to change and new demands starts coming and people start doing new things, it's when uh, politicians and celebrities catch up with them. Uh, that's, uh, that's the way I understand it. And I believe um, there is opportunities for change. And actually there is historical evidence that it's in these periods of crisis that um, you open, a, th these periods of crisis open a window of opportunity for change, right? When things are running normally, people don't want, people are more conservative. We don't want big, uh, you know, changes and so on. When the system is in crisis is when historically we have seen um, these tipping points where suddenly we take new trajectories, no? 
Um, this has happened many times in history. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, just after entirely catastrophic events like uh, wars, uh, World War II, and so on. That's what gave rise to the to the welfare states, for instance. Um, but I, I would like to hope that um, um, this pandemic could be an opportunity for change. No? And there is a lot of debate going on about you know, how will we reconstruct our society and our economy uh, after the pandemic. And there's all these discussions about the Green New Deal. Um, much of it is just pure greenwashing and you know, uh, the old tale that you know, if by investing in technology and green growth, we will you know, put things uh, get things running again, but uh, there are also much, many more um, radical and transformative ideas uh, that are being debated. No? And I think, for instance, uh, after so many months enclosed uh, in our homes, we had had a lot of time uh, to think, and we have also realized, um, you know, that the inanity of the mobility lifestyles we were having in the past, uh, we have reflected more about what is the essential uh, in life, ecological economics and degrowth uh, make a case for uh, replacing, you know, uh, a model of well-being based on material stuff. Uh, we suggest we should rely much more on relational goods, in, in relations with people, in friendship, in conviviality. No? I think now that we cannot touch each other, we cannot meet each other, uh, many of us are realizing that uh, what we <laughs> What we miss uh, most is not an additional car, but actually <laughs> meeting our friends uh, and so on. No? So I really hope, um, I'm, I try not to be too naive uh, and, and we cannot uh, discard the, the scenario that, uh, that, that the crisis also moves uh, things in a direction opposite to the principles of ecological economics. But I think it's, uh, it's a window of opportunity for change. And it's very important that those of us that think along these lines work hard for uh, instigated change in, 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 in the direction of the vision of ecological economics in this case. This instigating change is, is, is very difficult because um, I recently had an interesting conversation with some young activists and um, they were pointing out that social scientists are just fog eaters, this is the term they use, and if they want to change the world, they should just start knocking on doors and convince people to stop being a political and start getting involved and start voting and start um, doing stuff. And any, they claim that anything else is useless. So for them, when scientists start talking about social change, they consider it fog eating because they think we have no bite. We have no teeth to actually grab things and change things. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, what do you think will make, for example, this podcast series, not about fog eating and not about teethless scientists grabbing nothing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, the key to that is, is relate uh, theory to, to actual practices, no? Um, I, I may not entirely agree in, in the diagnosis uh, of, of those uh, people you, you talk to. I don't think we need to, to knock on the doors and tell people what to do. People usually don't like people to tell them what they have to do. Um, uh, you know, this, this kind of preaching around, uh, I think it's more about uh, seducing people. 
coming with a vision uh, of uh, of uh, that that uh, creates illusion and creates uh, um, excitement about uh, and 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 uh, and the ho and hope uh, about uh, things uh, uh, being able to function uh, in a different way. And I think uh, much more than knocking on the doors and telling people what to do, first. First of all, uh, people making the case that we should do things differently should start doing things differently themselves. Um, and this is um, part of this, uh, this criticism I was telling before about elitization of, uh, of academia. If we, if we are in our ivory towers uh, writing with uh, a language uh, full of jargon that nobody understands, uh, and we keep doing lifestyles that are not congruent with uh, what we are preaching, who will, where is our credibility? You know, uh, we can knock on many doors, but uh, no one will. Uh, no, no one will take us seriously. You know? So I think we uh, we need to work, and I and I don't think I'm particularly good at that. I'm, I'm I'm working on it, but I think we need to work much better on relating theory to practice, and uh, not only talk about ecological economics as a uh, distant thing of the future, but where is ecological economics happening already? In our society, because it's happening in in many places, um, it's happening with you know the the people that are uh, uh, you know stewards of the environment, uh, people that are taking care of uh, of the vulnerable, of the elderly, people that are taking initiatives uh, in the neighborhoods to with you know uh, workshops for fixing bikes and so on. Sometimes supported by. Um, by uh, public authorities, which is very good that they put money on those kind of things, but sometimes just uh, by own initiative. No, uh, people that are starting to grow food in their neighborhoods, uh, networks of mutual support—all these things, uh, the way I see it, are uh, ecological economics in practice. Uh, ways of uh, meeting uh, human needs, enhancing human well-being with um, with uh, ideas and practices that um, have if I may use uh, the term low, um, you know, low metabolism, not low economic metabolism, low use of materials, low use of resources, and so on. No? So I think we really had to, to do a much better job in digging out what is actually uh, going on already, uh, strengthening those initiatives, and try to expand them. I quite like your uh, your term vision because I, I think this is what I like uh, the most about ecological economics that we're um, we're more prone to to believe in dystopias than uh, than start building common social normative visions of how we want to live and 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 people really don't think about the impact of that because they they you know when you have an, a positive vision, you start working towards this vision. If you lack such a vision, you, you, you're not going to start taking tiny steps towards it because you, you don't think it's worth it. So um, I hope that uh, we will be able to, to, um, to put little, uh, little ideas towards these uh, uh, positive visions. And my last question is something that I may want to ask um, all my guests, because uh, we have entitled uh, this podcast series uh, Economics for Rebels. And I'd like to know what your rebellion is. I, I wish I had only one. Um, 
I, the last ones this week was uh, one was in the workplace uh, trying to revolt against uh, uh, Zoom meetings that I found called soul crushing and uh, you know uh, uh, we're getting more and more of them and, and I'm getting uh, sort of trying to rebel with that uh, at the workplace. Uh, not the case. It's much nicer being here talking with you about things uh, I find on Zoom. <laughs> on Zoom, uh, paradoxically. Um, I had also a rebellion this uh, this week in, in my neighborhood against uh, the board that had decided to remove the swing where the kids uh, were playing in the in the backyard. So I, I have many rebellions, small, uh, modest little rebellions in my daily life, but maybe most uh, most relevant for the conversation we, we're having now. Well, given uh, the position I have, which is a, a teacher and a researcher in, in ecological economics, um, my rebellion, where I tried to, to put mo most of my uh, time and energy for, uh, for instigating change, is um, uh, I'm rebelling against the way economics is theorized, practiced, and especially taught. Uh, in university. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, support the rebellion of also students like those of rethinking economics and others and uh, fighting for uh, a new way of theorizing, um, practicing and uh, teaching economics where um, we do no longer uh, indoctrinate students telling we're egoistic uh, uh, people that we need to um, compete with each other and, this, uh, and that the market should be the structuring institution to organize our society. Um, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to say that uh, uh, actually that is not true. Um, humans are not only egoistic, we are also altruistic. Um, we are both, we are both things, um, but uh, the institutions we put in place, the norms we create uh, play a very important role in um, promoting that our egoistic or our altruistic and cooperative dimensions uh, come at play, right? Um, uh, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm rebelling against the idea that uh, we have to organize an economy based on competition and exploitation uh, of people by other people, of uh, exploitation uh, of nature by people, uh, and trying to induce the ideas that we can organize an economy and a society based on principles of cooperation and uh, mutual support. Uh, I'm rebelling against indoctrination uh, that we should have a growth-based economy. Uh, I'm trying to tell my students that uh, our, our economy should be revolved around notions of uh, human well-being uh, and sustainability. And I'm rebelling against uh, a way of uh, teaching economics that justifies um, a society that is structurally divided in classes and uh, with enormous and uh, growing differences, making the case that uh, this should be unacceptable, that we should organize a society where, uh, you know, nobody has uh, uh, so much money that can buy uh, the lives and work of others. Nobody has so little money uh, that has to sell uh, their time to others. No? So that is my, my rebellion, what I'm trying in, uh, in my daily life uh, and work. Thank you, Eric, for, for this conversation. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. It was, uh, it was a pleasure, really. And uh, thanks to all for uh, spending time with us. Stay tuned um, for our next episode with Simon Mayer as our guest on what makes ecological economics rebellious. So we're going to continue uh, with this line of thought. Thank you, Sandra.
Thank you for listening to the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. If you like the conversation and your work is related to ecological economics in any discipline, consider becoming a member of our society to stay connected. If you are ready to discuss the topic, join our Facebook group called European Society for Ecological Economics. Thank you.